Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is The Back Pew. Thank you for listening to us today, wherever, however you may be listening. I am Caesar, and I am here with Justin and Nick. Today we have a great show in store for you guys. We will be discussing about how the book, how the books of the Bible make the cut. Why are they in the order that they are? And we'll discuss a little bit about that infamous Enoch book. So with that being said, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the show. We'll see you in the back pew. Here we go. So Nick, I think I think uh for this topic mm-hmm. I did uh think that you would probably be the better person to answer a little bit of Ooh, yeah. and drop a little bit of knowledge on us because I know that you went to school for a lot of this stuff and I know that Caesar and I are lacking in that area. So mm. put me on hoping, the spot, why don't you? Well, I mean hoping nah. that maybe maybe you had some insight as to okay, uh where did the New Testament writings come from, how was it chosen to be put together? And then on top of that, I know it's just a separate section, I would think, of the Old Testament. And with that, who decided, as far as the Old Testament goes, which books came into that? Maybe you can talk on that. I don't know, because I'm not not familiar with Old Testament writings myself, so I can't really answer that. Well, I can tell you that most of the Old Testament um, like translations of the Bible um, that we have today came from, gosh, what's that cave called that's in Jerusalem? I can't remember it off the top of my head. What is it again? Um, a hold cave? on a second. I'm going to look at it right here. I was going to look for it right now. Um, it was found in the... Um, Dead Sea Scrolls? That's that is the one, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, um, so that's where we have most of the Old Testament uh, writings come from. There were some that I know of um, that were from the New New Testament. And what I do also know is that we have about twenty five thousand Greek manuscripts that confirm um, that are dated between. And correct me if I'm wrong, and you know this um, between one fifty and six hundred A.D. If I remember, well, I mean, I know there's some. If I remember right, yeah, there's some manuscripts that are dated earlier than that. Uh, but there's there are fragments of it, so it's like a couple sentences that are fragmented from uh, New Testament writings that that they found. But I know that uh, as far as Dead Sea Scrolls go, uh, when I was in Israel this last time, I was in Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually went to that area where the Dead Sea Scrolls would have been scribed or written, hmm. which is really kind of neat, you know, to think that that people were just sitting there and all they were doing was making copies and sending it out to different synagogues so they could have the same document. That's right? wild. I mean, it, it is kind of crazy how all this, you know, stuff came together. I mean, I think a lot of people, um, they they've got some, you know, distrust... In well, how do we know it's accurate, and how do we know, right, yeah. you know, what we're supposed to believe about it? And I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll be completely straight. Um, 
if um, I I honestly don't know if I would have found Jesus if it wasn't for the scriptures. I mean, mm. well, I mean, truthful. Um, the scriptures are where I first read about Jesus. They're the first place that I even had any sense of how I was supposed to be living, what I was supposed to be doing. Is there a specific scripture that spoke to you that pretty much told you, yes, this is, I, I, I'm, I'm hooked and uh, I'm, I believe now. Is there a specific one? Mm. Um, well, the Sermon on the Mount really changed things for me. I think it put, it took. What does it say? Um, the Sermon on the Mount, it's yeah. Matthew chapter five through seven. Um, it's a whole, it's yeah. one of Jesus's yeah. sermons. Okay. Uh, like Jesus's most famous sermons and it is his most famous sermon. What is it again? Um, Matthew? Matthew five, uh, chapters five through seven. And it's a whole, it's a whole long reading. Um, but that's where I, I took or I found, um, what seemed to be impossible to follow become practical, right? It's where it took a, a law or a rule and turned it into real life. Mm, it talks about various topics, including uh, fulfillment of the law, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, relationships, love for enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, treasures in heavens, worry, judging others, and the golden rule. It's basically what yeah. all of that talks about. Mm-hmm. Summing it up. Okay. Yeah. And that's that, you know, I didn't understand everything around it. Uh-huh. You know, like I didn't understand the list of, you know, 450 names that are in Matthew chapter one. I didn't understand the fulfillment stuff. I didn't understand what the purpose of John the Baptist was and why Jesus got baptized. All I knew is that, is that those, that sermon there really clarified a lot of things for me in practicality and made me go, okay, I could do that. That's tough, but I can do it. You know, uh, one of the things that I've kind of thought about lately is that I don't think you would actually need the scriptures in order to be the, to understand that Christianity would still exist. Christianity right? didn't start because of the Bible. Right. And that, that's basically what I'm saying is I think Christianity, uh, or I know, right? I know that Christianity didn't start because of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at it that way or, can, or maybe consider it that way, it's less of an issue of the writings per se and, and more of a issue of, uh, okay, what took place. Mm. And I think uh, the other item that goes into that, into the New Testament writings that I find compelling is the fact that you have multiple points of view for the same topic, right? Or the Mm -hmm. same event. So similar to, let's say we have four different reporters, or or let's just pick the three of us for now, because we're all sitting here. So the three of us, we all witness an event. We all witness the Twin Tower, the Twin Tower event, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, right. And then now separately, we all write down the accountings of that event, right? Mm Mm-hmm but we're all going to write it differently because we're all different people. Hmm. And so when you look at the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, right, John, and you take that into consideration, you see how they're not necessarily uh, like tearing apart each other, but but enhancing the uh, topic um, that you'll see, that, oh, okay, that makes sense. That reporter wrote on it and he found this, but this reporter wrote, reported on the same event and he saw that. Right, so it's it's not it's more of a supportive writing than something that takes away from it, and so I think something like that really speaks to the historicity of the event, 
Yeah. Right. Because if, if it wasn't that way, then you would see, uh, you wouldn't see supporting, you would see diverging. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so that to me makes it, makes it more of a event that actually took place and, and one that can be proven outside the scriptures completely with other sources that are mentioned in the Bible as well. Right. Like I, Josephus mm. is named, yeah. right? You can go to those writings and, and read that yourself and see, okay, this is what he said about Jesus. And you can also see about, you know, how that takes place and, and, and how that gives a little more validity to what was going on at that time. So you're saying like multiple people are kind of almost writing the same um, mm-hmm. event, the same events. Yeah. It may be different wording and different things, but the the, the conclusion is still the same, right? Yeah. Kind of like your your analogy of the nine eleven. The three of us will write it differently, but it happened, right? right. So, so people will talk about like the synoptic problem, right? Like okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yes, all have the same source supposedly, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what you under what you come to understand as you read those different accounts is that they're all written for different groups of people. So they don't they don't they don't cancel each other out. They they actually specifically address a certain group of individuals. So let me walk you walk you down, I guess, that that road. For example, Matthew written to Jews, right? Matthew is for Jewish people to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And that's fulfilled through I kind of explained this on Sunday in my sermon. Um, you know, you have um the um the genealogy, right, which was extremely important to Jewish people. I mean, they are really obsessed with making sure that the Messiah that they believed in or that was coming was actually supposed to come from the line of David, right? And so Matthew includes that genealogy for the purposes of showing them, look, Jesus came from the line of David. He is the Messiah, that God was prophesying about, right? That all the prophets, you know, everybody from beforehand, even all the way back to Abraham was thinking of was this, this Messiah is coming. Yeah. Um, here he is. And then, so that's followed by the fulfillment, you know, the fulfillment prophecies, right? Um, he fulfilled this old Testament scripture and he fulfilled this old Testament scripture. And then John the Baptist came and he fulfilled this old Testament scripture and Jesus was baptized and he fulfilled this old Testament scripture and Satan came and tempted him. And he filled this. He fulfilled this Old Testament scripture, and then right after chapter four is where you have the Sermon on the Mount. Where did right? those scriptures come from, though the the older ones? What older ones? I thought they the, were Old the, Testament. Pro- yeah, the Old Testament. Yeah, Old Testament. Yeah. How did they get those um, writings, though? If Jesus hasn't came yet, like, uh, it was, was that God I mean, gave them a vision or talked no, to them and no, told them write it, this down. So the Old Testament is just all the things that took place. That took place where? It just are. They're chronological events that took place that the priests would write down. So it just took place. So are you saying, for example, like something that just happened at random and I just wrote it down, this happened today? Yep. Yep. Your responsibility is to write down what took place. This major event that happened today on... Yep. Just like a news reporter. Okay. You got to think like a news reporter. So So they, they would sit there and write down what took place. So, but you also have to remember that the Old Testament writings, I believe there's like something like 70 different authors, something yeah. like this. I'm not I'm not 100% on it. 60? 60 different authors. Yes. Wow. That would be correct. 60 I different authors. I thought 70, but it's 60. I'm That's sorry. pretty, hey, you know. Not bad for not being a scholar. But, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, I didn't learn that until I went to seminary. But the point being is that you have to realize that 
all these authors wrote at different times in history that didn't know the other person wrote something mm. or may have not known that somebody else was writing something as well. Yeah. And then they were compiled, and it, when they were uh, put together, they they write out or read out like a complete story. Mm. So it's really hard to believe that it's not a divine scripture. Right. Yeah. And, and, and here's the other thing you have to take into consideration, too. You know, why Why in the world you have people that are being persecuted for believing in Jesus and they're writing stories about Jesus's life that could cost them their life. But right. they also found it important for people who were continuing to believe in Jesus, right, because of the message being spread, that they had to know the real story of Jesus. So then you move to the Gospel of Luke. And this is where I like to say, and I told Justin this earlier, of skeptics and sinners, Right. It's for this the person who's skeptical about Jesus and if he really did the things he did and for the sinner who thinks he can't get close to God, right? And because there's a lot of emphasis on those two things, mainly through the historical markers in chapters one and two and three, I think. There's a bunch of historical markers, historical lines that, um, that force you as a reader to dig into history. Um, and so Luke designs his gospel in that way. It's like an investigation, right? Like if I was going to do a sermon series, I would call it investigating Jesus, right? Based on the gospel of Luke, because that's yeah. what Luke is doing. He's yeah, investigating clearly, Jesus. It, clearly Luke is, it, he's, his whole intent is to prove that the events that took place actually happened. Right. So like Augustus Caesar, um, <laughs> uh, the emperor over Rome put out a decree that every man should be registered in his hometown. What he's saying is that there's going to be a census. Like, I mean, that's what he says. There's a census and every man has to go to his hometown. So from Luke's perspective, that's how Jesus ended up in Bethlehem because his dad, uh, because his, you know, non-biological father, David was of the house of, or his non-biological father, Joseph was of the house of David. Sorry. And, so he had to go with Mary to register in Bethlehem. And so that's where Luke, as he investigates, he says, this is how Joseph and Mary ended up mm, in Bethlehem, right? As where Matthew would say that in a dream, God sent Joseph and Mary to Beth, or sent, came to Joseph in a dream and told him, go to Bethlehem or no, 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 no. It wasn't Bethlehem. It was Egypt, right? Okay. So I'm mistaken. Um, anyways, they're, they're down in um, Bethlehem for that census for a period of time yep. and then and, and then they end up going to Egypt because they're, he's going to get killed right right there he's afraid so then they leave to Egypt and then as he's coming back then he's told no don't don't go back to Bethlehem so he ends up in why are you looking at me that's for you to answer where is he end I turned up? off my mic so I could eat a chip I know but where did they end up you know exactly where they ended up Jerusalem or no. oh no Galilee yeah he's a Galilean and then that's yeah. why they're like, nothing Nazareth, good comes out right. of oh, Nazareth. Nazareth. Yeah, nothing good comes out of there. Out of there. What right? good can come out of Nazareth? Yeah, right? yeah. Call him Jesus so, of Nazareth. Yeah, yeah, Nazarene, Nazarene. And then Mark is written for a what what I would say and what's perceived to be uh, through scholars as you know, uh, well, some would say the Gospel of Peter, right? So they would say Peter spoke it, Mark wrote it. Mm. And uh, it was written, directed at uh, Roman Christians, 
is what they presume. Uh, and you get that sense by the word immediately he uses. He uses the word immediately all throughout that gospel. You know, this happened and then immediately Jesus healed him. And then immediately Jesus went to, you know, and you see this word all over. I can't remember exactly how many times, but it's all over that book. It's in every chapter. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately like, boom, it happened. Right. And then John's what um, we would call a spiritual gospel. It's probably written towards um, people who are already Christians. It's got a lot of deeper layered spiritual messages and so, um, John's more geared toward the believer, but I also think that anybody who's spiritually inclined, if they read the book of John, they would be convinced of Jesus just based on, you know, your ability to see what's there. Right. Um, and so these are all written at different dates and times. I don't have the exact dates and times that everything was written at, but that's how we, we have the, the gospels is because these people sacrificed their life to record the story of Jesus, right? right? Well, I mean, that's the other point as to why we have the gospels we have and why we can trust them, trust the source, right? Because the 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 fact that these people were willing to actually be killed for a point of view uh, speaks a lot to the to the validity of the story. So, if you look at, for example, Watergate, mm. right? So the guys that were involved in Watergate. They lied all the way up until they were pressured, like you're going to end up in jail. Oh no, I did. That's not what it was, right? And I think you can take that with pretty much any criminal nowadays and say, okay, well we're going to kill you if you don't tell us the truth. And here's the axe, like they're going to cave because mm. there's there's that self preservation that we all have that we all, uh, well, it's even biblical, right? I mean that's why we all f- have that fear. There's that driving fear of I don't want to die. Yeah. Right. We all have that, hopefully. Um, but that's that's just to me. If somebody's going to hold to that truth and and be willing to die for that truth, it speaks the the uh, that that they would have actually seen and, and been witness to that. Right. And and just to and you know, there's a saying: Christianity doesn't exist because of a Bible. The Bible exists because of Christianity. Right. So. You know, you take that all in and you go, okay, well, we rely heavily, pretty heavily on, you know, the Bible, the scriptures to live our life. And um, it's important to us in this day and age as to how you, you know, prove to somebody that Jesus really did live and existed. I mean, I think there's an element to reading scripture that, you know, convicts in, and pushes us toward God, right? And that's what I would say that the Bible's for. The Bible is to point us to God. Mm-hmm. It's not God. Right? Right. And, and and so, you know, a lot of times we are a little guilty of kind of flipping the script a little bit, right? And putting the Bible up on a pedestal when all the Bible is for is to point us to God, to point us to Jesus. It's the same purpose as John the Baptist, right? That we're, it's pointing us to God. It's, that's what it's for. Okay, so... Uh, kind of bouncing back, right? So the the, the canon, I think that was the topic. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. canon, the canon is the the set of texts. You all right? We're good. We're good. All right. So the canon, canon is just a set of texts. Uh, you, you typically, I think, uh, 
This would have been developed in. Uh, I believe it was the it, the Nicene Council. Well, there's council the Council of Rome, in like 325 yeah. AD. Yeah, there's the Council Rome. of Rome. There's the Council of Hippo. I'm probably saying it right, wrong, and the two councils of uh, Carthage, Council of Florence. Right. So these are all groups of people that got together, uh, that read through the scriptures, that made the decision on what what actually it is that we're reading. Okay. But when you read other books like Enoch, so now we're getting into the other mm-hmm. topic you wanted to get into. Right. So I actually took the time and read it. The Enoch book? I did. Wow. Uh, it, it's, you know, a, a couple of hours. I actually read it twice. Um, but you can tell why it's not in. And uh, I can, I'm saying that because it doesn't follow what all the other Old Testament books uh, prophesiers, right? I right. don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Other, other people that wrote, they wrote it in such a way that was completely different than Enoch. Enoch yeah. is more of a book that's very uh, well, it has different, dramatic. Yeah, it's dramatic. I guess you could say it's dramatic. Uh, and then you can also tell, tell that there's a lot of circle or contradictory items that, that don't quite make sense. Uh, so, but I do think the book does have some points to it that I think add value, but I also think there are things that just don't add to the storyline at all. The, the, the main overlying, you know, idea of, you know, sin entered the world. God has the cure for the sin and then cures the sin, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the overlying kind of broad brush of the Bible, so to speak. But I think Enoch doesn't really play a role in that other than it has some prophetic uh, information in, inside. But who who is Enoch to start off with? Who is Enoch? Do we know? He's in Genesis. I know. I was going to say. So, yeah, I mean, too, the book, the, the yeah. way that book the book is kind of written is as if Enoch, as he's being taken up to heaven... He writes about these experiences. Oh, what, really? Like, interesting. What, what experiences does he writing about? The experiences that he, he yeah, experienced so he's writing, or experiences right. that he's seen? Yeah, he's seeing. Just like in the Old Testament writings, when you look at prophets, prophets are like, the spirit took me up and took me over here, and then I saw this, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same sort of situation where Enoch's taken up, and he says, this is what I saw, right? I saw these, uh, Gabriel, and I saw, uh, he lists like seven different, angels that he sees and these angels um are all doing things and he discusses what they're what they were told to do and what each one does and then you also he also gets into why there was the fall why noah had to why the flood had to take place yeah right he goes into discussing this he goes into discussing okay how how the earth got perverted with the angels that fell, that fell and he goes and into the angels that fell and, and started it, going with the right with the and but humans. i mean the overlying aspect of the book is that eventually uh, good triumphs over evil right right which is the basically the underlying aspect of the bible Enoch was and, Methuselah's father it also which says, was Noah's Grandfather, yeah. Noah's grandfather. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so that he wasn't. Yeah, yes. he was his great, 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 great. That's in Genesis. Yeah, sorry, in Genesis chapter five, uh, starting in verse twenty-one. So it's giving the genealogy in chapter five of like, and you're working up to the flood, 
at the end of chapter five. Right. And so he and that's about, why he's discussing yeah, the flood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the, he's talking about Enoch and then, you know, says that Enoch didn't die if we walked with God all the days of his life. And then God took him. Yeah. So that he, was he would no not more. see death. Yeah, yeah. He was no more. So I wasn't wrong. Okay, good. But why, <laughs> I was, why was he took him? I'm like, no. Why was he took Cause him? Cause it, it just says that he walked with God for like 300 years and he, and he was no more. God took him. He, he had a purpose for him. So, so there's, he, there's he, an he's a privileged one that did not have to suffer. Right. There's death. a few, there's a few people who get that privilege. I think one I was Enoch. And Elijah. The, yes. Okay. So it, there's a lot of uh, theories about that, that it, during the end times, the two prophets that come back are those two. Right. They come back. Right. Well, if you look in, in Revelation and it talks about the two people who, the two prophets that prophesy, to the world uh-huh. to try and convince them again to repent, they end up being killed and they're left for three days. Their corpses are left for three days and then everybody's celebrating that they're dead. But then they get raised up again. Like God this, calls them This back. happens in the end of times. Yeah, it's in Revelation. That's crazy. Right. How they get sent down back they sing, they sing, from get, God they and get then sent they get down. killed. Right. They, so they eventually... Supposedly, will experience death. No, because God raises them back up after the third day and takes them back. And says, "Come up here. Come back where you where you've been this whole right. time with me." Right, but but that's the assumption is that those two people are the prophets or mm. that are coming back in Revelation. That a lot of people have that thought. I don't know if it's mine or not. I I just know that that's that's what a lot of people think. Said, which yeah. I mean, it logically makes sense uh-huh. because we're the ones that are in time. God's outside of time. So if you move one person from here to there right it doesn't matter what time it is correct uh, to god so anyway that i don't disagree with it but i also don't just also some of the things that are in enoch are very uh like i said they're very intriguing i've never read it but i've read parts of it because people are like oh yeah you should look at the book of enoch i'm like what's this big craze about the book of enoch it's interesting you know and i you know because there's many books that didn't make the cut but yet that one's the one that stands out the most is it well, There's, it's a big craze right now. It's a big, I, I think it's a, I don't know. People, people are all hung up on it. I don't know why. You can't get hung up on it because it, it doesn't, like when you put it in the perspective of the the total books, all the books that you're reading, if you read the whole thing and then you go back and you read Enoch, it doesn't take away from anything. It doesn't really add to anything either. It's just there. And I think that's hmm. why it's not in. Interesting. But I should look So up. is it the same scholars that said, that thought this probably had the same thoughts yep. and said, we're not going to put Enoch yep, in this likely. book because I'm sure they had it like doesn't 12 or 13 people sitting around a table and they all say I to vote it out. I, yep. and then they all said, yep. no, this doesn't align yeah. with yeah. the rest of these books that seem to, I think it's the same thing with like the Maccabees because mm-hmm. the yeah. Maccabees are very, uh, I haven't read them yet. I'm planning on it, but from the synopsises that I've looked at, it looks like the Maccabees are, they're very um, magical. A lot hmm. of magic things happen for like Jesus. And so it doesn't make any sense because a lot of the stuff that Jesus does, it's not magical. It's it's more of a, you know, a spiritual thing that he's doing. Or sure. there's a reason behind it. Right. Not like making butterflies or something like that. I don't know. But hmm. we'll see. I'm going to, I plan on reading it just to see. Yeah. It doesn't hurt anything, Mm-mm. you know. Um, I wonder, I wonder why, um, you know, and I have to, I think I instinctively trust what's in there. Um, 
not for any, you know, one reason or another. I think that if you look deep enough into it, you would find that what we what we have in our Bible is like ninety nine point nine percent accurate, and the only differences are like if, if I remember right, one of my instructors said uh, like conjunctions in words like in and out. I mean, what we have is pretty darn reliable, and you know, I think maybe what you could chalk it up to it sometimes is, well, you know, I mean, you read Facebook posts too, where people are like, well, why didn't you, you know, I read the book of Enoch and now I understand this, or I read the gospel of Thomas and now I understand this. And I read the God, you know, and they have all these, you know, well, why I read this and I read that. And you're just like, why don't you trust what's in your book that's been passed out that even, you know, if there was a little bit of a, I mean, I I don't think there is, but even if there was some word, I mean, like they've got things in brackets, right? Like they've got, you know, like brackets, oh, like the end of Mark chapter 16, right? Is nine through twenties in brackets. And it says, well, some manuscripts don't include this section of scripture, like literally ends at verse eight. And that's because they haven't found some early manuscripts that don't validate it. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, look, like you said before that, the the ones that I've looked at, the discrepancies that people find or they have found mm. isn't like a discrepancy that's changing the whole thing. Yeah. It's changing one letter or one mm-hmm. word is missing or mm-hmm. uh, a portion of a word is missing. Right. And then you with all the different uh copies that we have, it's clear that okay, this is the word that's missing. Mm-hmm. So uh to think that the the books that we have are incorrect, uh, no, I don't I don't think they're incorrect. Should the other books be added? I, I mean, that's kind of up to up to the person who's reading it at the time. But whenever I've read the books that are outside of it, like Enoch, mm. it's to me it's a little more clear as to why it's not in there. It just doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense for the time that it was written. Sure, doesn't make any sense to the storyline of the the way the Bible is actually written together. That doesn't follow any of that to me. I mean, I'm probably wrong. Somebody's probably listening like, I'm an expert and I think you're wrong. That's fine. Yeah. But to me, it didn't make any sense. Like from an outside person looking in, just reading it face value and reading the Bible face value, it doesn't belong. Right. Linguistically, it doesn't match up from yeah. what I understand too. Yeah. You know, absolutely. As to what the, as to what, you know, how you read the Bible. I mean, the language is completely language different. Completely different. Yeah. What, what does this say? Could it be changed nowadays though? What if we have someone who rereads the books of Enoch sure, and the Bible and rewrite it and, I mean, and rewrite it? But what what's to say that the rest of the copies printed from here on out will now have, for example, the book of Enoch included in the Bible? Where would they put it? Where would they? Well, that's well, what, that's I, what I would can, ask. Can Where it, would you put it? It? It, would, it would have to go in the Old Testament somewhere in the in the prophet with the yeah, prophets. But what what does that change about? But can it I be mean, done nowadays? What does that change can about we now? change the books yeah. nowadays though? Yeah. I don't think no, I don't think so because I mean, the the amount of copies of the manuscripts of the Book of Enoch at the times in which they were they were received or found compared to the times in which the Old Testament writings were found are two different, way two different uh, time frames. So I don't think it just doesn't doesn't belong okay. in that. So if if let's say that I read Enoch now mm-hmm. and I decided you know what I'm going to rewrite it so that it works, and I rewrite it. Okay, mm-hmm. and then I say, okay, here's the real book of Enoch. You're gonna say, where'd you get that? I'll be like, I wrote it. 
Well, are you gonna no. accept that? Yeah, <laughs> no. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it just doesn't yeah. work. I see. I see where you're coming from. I know okay. we jumped. We jumped a, a couple different topics right there really quick. No, so. that's, that's part of it. You just figure it out. But why are they in the? Why are the books in the order that they are? Like, why is um, you know. I understand why Genesis is first, but then why is it followed by, you know, the books in the order that they currently are? Could we have, is because it makes sense in the timeline? Is that why it is? Yeah. Gen- Genesis, you know, through Numbers, right? Is that the last book? Numbers is the last one. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Okay. So they, they line up for a sequence of events, right? Like the end of Genesis is the beginning of Exodus, right? The end of Exodus is the beginning of you know, Again, because of time, and lines. so on and so on, right? Leviticus, yeah, Leviticus, and then Numbers, and you know they have different stories pertaining to the Israelites after they've, you know, after you know after Genesis coming out of Genesis is like, you know, it, it's kind of funny because it tells the beginning of the creation story, and then it jumps all it jumps through all of these different characters in different time periods to tell a story where they lead up to Moses and how they got the law, right? And then from there on, it's about the the people, you know, the Exodus, the people of Israel, what they did, what they didn't do, what God wanted them to do, you know, what Moses did on Mount Sinai, um, you know, and the journey through the wilderness where a trip that should have taken them, you know, what, 40 days or uh, 40 days took them 40 years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so um I mean, that's I don't know about the other ones, but I know that's why that's well. That's I mean, sequence. yeah, going through going going through the Old Testament, everything's in pretty much chronological order until you get to the prophets, and then the prophets oh, are kind of right. off on their own. Okay, and because so, it's prophetic writing, prophetic writings, right? So it's like predicting the future while tying with the past. So it's kind of mm. it's kind of a separate writing. Okay, there's also multiple types of writings in the Old Testament book. I call it book. It's a, you, you know what I'm getting at. Yes. Okay. So you can't just read it, especially like Genesis. There's multiple types of writing in Genesis, like poetry, things like that. Right. So yes, you can just read Genesis on its own, but you also have to be able to take it and go, okay, well, I think this is more of a poetry. It's more written like that. Right, but it's not necessary for understanding the overlying principle of the book. Okay. Right. Right. Because Genesis, if you look at Genesis, you could see that it's clearly been written by multiple, multiple accounts. It's not just one writer writing Genesis. It's one writer putting Genesis together, but it's multiple writings combined to make Genesis. How did they get Genesis mm-hmm. then? If it was the beginning of time, did Adam write what was going on? Yeah, most likely. Most likely Adam yeah, wrote some for the stuff. first component of it. Right? Adam wrote, I was in this garden and then Eve came this along. This is what I was told. Me- messed right? it all up. And then us. if you look at if you look at how Genesis is written, there's multiple times where it says like um and this is the account of so and so. And this is the account of so and so. And this is the lineage of so and so. And whenever it does that, you know that it's another writing writer telling you what happened during that time period. Tradition credits Moses as the author of Genesis, but I've never heard what you just what you right. just said so before. If you, yeah, dig into it a little bit further. Moses is the one who put put it all together. I agree with that. 
But if you look at each individual section of it, because you have to think, like, Moses was in Egypt. He was Pharaoh's kid, right? He's going to become king. He has access to all the writings of the past. He's the one that's going to put it together. So has Moses found Very the educated. scripture? Yeah. Right. Did Moses found the scripture then and decided no, he to would write? No, he would have been, he would have had access to all of it. But that's what I'm saying. He had access to it and he came over across this like, what is this? Who is this Adam guy? And then he started reading yeah, it. Yeah, most and likely. Is that and orally he would have known. Yeah. Orally he would have known that that was, that that's what happened because he was a Hebrew. In the beginning of time. Sure. So, so, Which makes sense as yeah. well. So to me, it almost makes sense that he was verbally, it was verbally passed down. And then mm-hmm. at the same time, he found the writings that matched with what he was verbally told mm-hmm. and probably compiled it and wrote it down. Verbally told by... His his family. His family. Okay. Yeah, which makes sense because because Moses, when Moses was found in the in the river, right, right, his sister was there. Yeah, and his sister is like, oh, I'll go find someone to nurse your baby, right? Mm. Which is amazing, right? And it's just the mom happens to be the one who's available for that, right? But you have to you gotta have to kind of think about it, like, okay, how did that take place? Well, again, like I said, it's not it's not just Moses writing out what he was were word to word told Moses is writing down what he was told. Plus there's accounting. There's accounting of that, that he's documenting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. Which is, I think this is the only book that's more complex than most. Cause there's multiple, cause you're talking about his history that gets lost in a flood. Right. So where do you find that? And I think this kind of ties to my thoughts. Okay, so forgive me. You can delete this later. <laughs> but I actually think that the large pyramid in Egypt, the, what is it called? I can't remember. Anyways, it's the only one without the, it, well, not the only one. It's one that didn't have the cornerstone on the top. And it actually was, I believe, predates the flood and predates the uh, Egyptian uh, pyramids. And I think it was it was created by... Jews that were the, the pyramid. Yeah. The one of the it, what's the pyramid? I'm gonna look it up now. I'm gonna, look it up. What is but, it? What is it that you want to know? The pyramid? Yeah, with the oldest pyramid. Old can't remember which one it is. Pyramid. In Egypt? Mm-hmm. It states that the oldest pyramid in Egypt is step pyramid of the Jorzer? Uh, the Jorzer? See, see, I'm looking for a specific one. Which was one. built in the 27th What's century. What's the largest one? Uh-huh-huh-huh. The Pyramid of the Jorzer. What is the largest one? What is the largest pyramid? You have to delete all this because I'm trying to remember it. Egypt. Getting tired. Yeah. The Great Pyramid. The largest pyramid reached the Great Pyramid of Giza. Giza. That's the one. <laughs> Oh, well, you should have just said that. I I was thinking it, and I just, I was like, oh, maybe there's another one I don't know about. <laughs> so, I have a yeah, question. Pyramid of Giza. So Giza. the thought is, is that that was actually created uh, by Jews before, or it wouldn't have been Jews, right? It would have been created before the flood. So if that was there before the flood and Egypt took over that, or the Egyptians took over that area, they would have had access to that, uh, that pyramid, and that pyramid would have had mm. the writings. Interesting. I wonder, and that's where Moses would have gotten it. And then, huh. but that, those are the writings of Adam that we're talking about, right? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. So the writings, the writings of like Adam through Enoch, all the way to Moses. So where are all the writings Moses, about where, like you know, I guess what I've known is that the 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 Bible jumps from Jesus' early 
early lives to when he's already being uh that would be like Maccabees. So where's the middle gap? Yeah, that that that's the Maccabees, right? The Maccabees kind of covers Jesus's childhood, right? A little bit of it. The Maccabees. What what is the Maccabees? I don't know. It's a the Catholic Church has some of that in there, I believe. Why don't we? This is the Great Pyramid of Giza. is about forty six hundred years old. That's what they estimate. Oldest of the seven wonders of ancient world, and is the only one that has remained largely intact. Interesting. Well, I didn't know that. I learned some facts. I'm looking for the Maccabees book. The Book of Maccabees are a collection of four volumes that re-encounter the history of the Maccabees. Uh, The first two are part of the chronological scripture in... So take into account, too, that there was no prophet between Malachi and the time that Jesus comes upon sight, right? Uh, Paul 400, says, 400 years. Yeah, Paul says there's a gap uh, of about 430 years, mm-hmm. right, where they didn't have a prophet. And, and it's recorded that they didn't have, a, there was no prophet from God for about 400 years mm-hmm. between those time periods. So that's where there's the creation of these, you know, these, you know, I guess you would say, um, you know, intertestamental writings, you know, it happens in between testaments. And then you have the, uh, in the time, well, even, even the gospels weren't written right when Jesus, right when all this events were happening, these were written, these were written after the fact, right? This Uh was already, you know, this is 30 plus years after the, after Jesus dies, resurrects and ascends into heaven. Right. And people are writing these accounts. Um, so the they hadn't when Jesus comes on site, they hadn't seen an, a prophet in a long time. And then you look at the Gospel of Matthew, and you look at places like Matthew fifteen. I think I mentioned this before. You know where you have the the Pharisees saying, "Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat?" And they're quoting an Old Testament law that was only for Levitical priests partaking in the sacrifice that they had to wash their hands. Yeah. Or they, it was, it was wash your hands or you're, you're basically dead. Right. (laughs) And and so, and so Jesus says, you know, he turns that on its head and says, you know, to the effect of in vain, do they worship or far their hearts from me in vain, do they worship me teaching his doc, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men, right. Teaching as you know, as commands of God, basically, like you're telling, you know, because they had created this book, and I'm and sure I've said this on before. Rules, yeah, rules and rules yeah. and rules. They've taken all 613 laws, put them in a book, and then, you know, each... Here, you study know, this. This is what you have to do. Yeah. It, it, every generation of Jewish teacher would write their interpretation of that law. And so they completely removed these laws out of their context and out of the narrative hmm. and created their own system of belief. Um, that was which goes back to consumption of the what how corrupt churches can get right if 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 uh if it happens to the Jews it can happen to anybody right sure. it's just it's just somebody who is taking the information eating it for you and then giving it to you as if it's baby food right you're you you're you should be an adult enough to be able to handle the information on your own process it on your own and have your own thoughts mm-hmm. on on the way things are. Yeah. 
No, that's, uh, that's otherwise true. you're subject I mean, to if we start cherry picking scripture and say, well, yeah. you know, this theme, you know, follows this theme from the Old Testament and this theme theme in the New Testament, I'm sure in some circumstances that's viable. But when you start creating laws from scripture that don't exist, then you're beginning to become a false teacher. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, you know, cause anybody in reality, you can do that. I mean, you see, I mean, look, look at the mega church pastors. A lot of them are just telling people what they want to hear. You know, they're not even really preaching the word of God. In my opinion, they're just telling people, Oh, if you give this money, I'll, you know, God will do this for you. Or if you, I'll, you know, and you hear it. I mean, I don't have to go through all the, the lines of it, but there's a lot of them that do that. Not, it's not all of them, That's a, but there's a lot of them, you know? And so, um, we're, we can be just as bad. We can go, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, um, you know, pick a, pick a line of thinking, pick a topic, pick a, pick a doctrine, pick a, and, and really ask yourself, did this doctrine exist on its own within the confines of the context of the scriptures? Or did I create, did I cherry pick this thought? Because this verse said this thing, and I I thought it was biblical. Mm -hmm. And so I created this doctrine out of nothing where there was no doctrine, right? So go to Galatians, right? Galatians is a book about how the um, one, the Galatian Christians were abandoning the gospel that Paul preached to him. And two, they were abandoning it because some teacher came in there and said, hey, if you don't get circumcised plus baptized, you're not saved, right? And so they were incorporating Old Testament laws, signs of the covenants into yeah, the New Testament where it wasn't required. Things up, yeah. So I mean, that, that's just to put it in perspective. But I mean, that's like that's like doc, doctrinal of being saved, though. I mean, there's a lot of topics that the church gets involved in that I think doesn't really matter as far as being saved or not saved, mm. right? Because you can get into issues like should I wear a tie to church or not. Mm. Right, because it's not doctrinal. It's not no. going to change what your heart is, where your heart's at. Mm-hmm. It's you're responsible for your where your heart's at, and how you do that is up to you, not mm-hmm. me. And it's between you and God, right? So, but that's, that's what happens when you don't have a prophet for four hundred years. Yeah. That's what happens when you don't have a word from God. When you're God's people and you don't have a word from God mm-hmm. for that long period of time, you right. begin to make your own false gods. Yeah, well, false gods, you begin to make your own laws and you, and then you sit there and there's, you know, remarkable people that have lived throughout history that have kind of been. Would you say that we're kind of almost going through that right now? No comment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If you want, if you want my opinion, <laughs> it's, it's I highly know. probable. Right. Because I feel like the world is falling further well, but, away be, from scriptural. Because but, that's what but, it sounds like from what we're saying. There's has been a prophet in. What was that last time? Four hundred years or something? You just said right yeah, now. Well, yeah, we're two thousand. I mean, yeah, but, but we have we have yeah, two thousand years. Yeah, we have the scripture, but there has been no prophet. And then from right. the where we see, like our our last episode, we talked about everything is just many people are not reading the scriptures. Right. They're trying to interpret it in their right. own way. All these false prophets that are preaching right. people mm-hmm. were one say. It, it, it sounds like that's. It could be. Yeah. We very well could be in a time. You know, period I think where everybody, everybody's, everybody at one point in time probably thought this, right? Because if you look at the Old Testament writings, they were saying, God's coming back. Get ready. Mm. He's coming back. Right. You don't know when right. he's coming back. Right. He's coming back. So 
I don't think it's inappropriate to have that thought. What I do think is inappropriate is if I tell you he's coming back, so figure it out now, right? That's not fair. But I do think Mm. you should have that fear, which is appropriate, which is the fear of, okay, I die today. I have to go in front of God. What am, what am I going to say? Mm. Right? I mean, what can you say? What's he going to say? Right. Well, I mean, it's a combination. But that that fear is what needs to drive you, I think, which is also, it's a healthy fear. Yeah. It's not a fear like, I don't know. I I don't know how to explain it, but it's it's called the fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Because when you have that fear, you're going to drive that towards figuring out, okay, what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. Right? So that, I think that's what, the problem is, I don't think anybody in the United States, or I don't know where, or it doesn't matter. I think the people nowadays, with the culture, the way that it is, they just don't fear God. Yeah. Why do you need God when you have everything? Right. That's I, the way I look at it. I mean, re- realistically, that's probably why people don't have an interest in going to church. The other side of that is that there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. There's a lot of people that say one thing but live another. There's a lot of people who are really hard-nosed, stiff-necked, that when somebody expresses a difference of opinion, they don't want to listen. They just want to prove their point. You know, and and so we, you know, and I I try, you know, when I know I'm going to you know, have a conversation with somebody, you know, I know I'm going to disagree with where they're at. My approach is always is always grace because what if I was standing in front of Jesus telling him some of my thoughts and what I thought about things, certain things in scripture and things like that? What I, what I, what I have him approach me with grace. Well, have you ever thought about it this way? Or have you ever, have you ever, you know, experienced this or you're thinking of that wrong? This is what it really is. Or would I want him to approach me with anger and go, Oh, well, you're an idiot. You know, you don't uh, No, That's just flat wrong. Get out of my way. I, I don't, you know, I, I would, I want to win somebody's soul. I don't want to, I don't want to push them away. And I think that that was Jesus's approach too, is he wanted to win people. He knew probably he wasn't going to win everybody. I mean, as far as, as far as we know, you know, as the story tells, Jesus won a lot of people um, and he won a lot of people over. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going to do to the best of my ability to speak truth and win somebody's soul rather than push them away. Um, and, and I think that falls into all this, you know, stuff we've been talking about, you know, the, the cherry picking of scripture, the manipulation of scripture, um, the, you know, you, you have to think my way or you're going to hell kind of attitude, um, that those are all wrong. I mean, you have to, you, I, I really believe you have to look at scripture with an open mind. You have to read from front to back to try to understand where the narrative is going to take you. And you cannot cherry pick your way through doctrine. It, I just don't think it works like that. You start cherry picking your work way through doctrine. You're we're right back at square one yeah. where the, where the Pharisees were. So take your, pick your poison, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, it's just, you know, that was cool. Did we cover everything, Caesar? I think we did. We sure did, we? did. I don't know how good of a job we did. But no, we did. <laughs> we well, certainly we, covered we, everything. To we the definitely best we did our best to you know keep it entertaining and cover what we can and you know drop some knowledge. 
Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, you yeah. get interested and start reading some stuff. You know. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm sure it triggered some people. I'm I'm sure it triggered some people. It triggered me for sure. But yeah, Caesar, like I'm going home reading the whole Bible tonight. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been trying to <laughs> keep up with it. You know, I think I just, if I stay up late, I can get it all in. <laughs> you get it all done. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna take a while. But you know, I I, I kind of try to take the approach. Um, one of our buddies, Bill, right? He said that every year he kind of resets, and starting from January, he reads the Bible, and goes oh, yeah. out throughout the year. I'm trying to do that a little bit, so. That's good, man. You know, it's also gotta... John, um, Justin recommended that I start with, I think, John. Mm-hmm. And yep. I, I have. I started it already. So um, I'm reading up on my stuff. Awesome. That's and great. I, once I start reading the gospel, I'm just sucked in. I can't put it down. I mean, that's just, I mean, you know, because you read it so many times and you just can kind of see what's happening mm-hmm. as you read it. Right. Yeah, and so, man, I don't know how people, people put stuff down like that. I got to. I gotta read the whole thing once I start. I'm yeah. just like, well, I kind of almost see it like a book, it like a movie, a, book, a movie. But in my <laughs> mind, in my mind, it's a movie, yeah. right? And I yeah. watch it play out, right? And the more that I read it, the more uh, information gets put into that movie. Sure. Right, and I get a better. Picture it just of becomes it. a better movie. Yeah, it comes. Mm-hmm. A, you get a better mood, and you're like, oh, I missed that the first time. Dang it! How yeah. did I miss that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll get I it think. next time. I'm sure there's more. Let's go. Well, that changed my mind. What the heck am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, hmm, maybe I thought about that wrong. And you know what's cool about about the the narratives, you know, like the story of Jesus is, this is my perspective. They're designed for you to see yourself within this within that narrative. It, you know, for example, am I the Pharisee or the publican in Luke? You know, am I the man at the pool of Siloam? Am I the woman at the well, am I Nicodemus? You know, who, where do I fit in this story? You know, what characteristics? Am am I the seed that fell on rocky soil? Right. 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 Yep. So anyway. Very cool. Thank you, you know, for everybody who joined us today on another episode of the Back Pew. And as always, we'll see you in the Back Pew. Pew, pew, pew. Hey everybody, and thank you f- again for listening to the Back Pew. Now it's been a while, but uh, as always, if you'd like and subscribe, that would help us out tremendously. And share this with your friends if you think these discussions are helpful. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the Back Pew. <laughs>